0: Because I think a lot of you know I just got back from Jordan. And um, thanks, Steve, for letting me do that. And Crossroads for... um, I mean, I I, I say it a lot. The most exciting thing going on is the kingdom of heaven. But I felt like I just so experienced that. Um, A team went to Jordan. And I can't really put words to this, but I'll just for a few minutes try. Uh, We went there to serve the Christians in Jordan. Jordan. And yeah, that's a stereotype that was shattered for me. I didn't realize how many Christians are living in the Middle East. Arab Christians. And the thing that they're doing in the midst of all the chaos that's going on. I mean, hundreds of thousands of refugees from Syria and Iraq have made their way to Jordan. And the church is feeding, clothing, giving shelter, heaters, mattresses to thousands of them. And they are just making Jesus look stunningly beautiful. Um, And so um, I want to show you a picture of this family. Those are Iraqi believers who lost everything. They're living in Jordan right now. ISIS literally went right into their home with the big sword and said, leave right now. This house is ours and everything that belongs in it. And if you don't leave now, we'll kill you. And they left. And we sat with them as they told us the story. These are not just Christians in label. These are Christ followers. To hear the one way in the back there, um, that's the firstborn son of the family. He was the one that was telling the story. And uh, he said, all we pray to be is is Stephen. Like Stephen in Acts chapter 7. When he he was stoned, how Stephen prayed, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. It's like we just want to be like Jesus. We want to live out his words. To pray for those who persecute us. And bless those who mistreat us. I'm just. (laughs) It's beautiful. And Jesus Christ is winning. Um, We get to participate in the kingdom of heaven. In in Grand Rapids. But uh, it's not just happening here. It's happening all over the world. And uh, with that being said. Let's step into Luke's gospel as Luke tells us the story of the kingdom of heaven as it comes to us, to Christ. I think we've made it to Luke chapter 5. Last week, Brandon, I believe, uh, looked at uh, Jesus and Levi, or Levi. Uh, today, we're going to start in verse 33. So let's stand for the word of of God Luke 5:33 I'm actually going to start in verse 29 Then Levi, Levi or Matthew, the one who writes Matthew's gospel, held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating together. Then dropping down to verse 33, they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray. So do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in in those days they will fast. And he told them this parable, no one tears a piece of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new for they say, the old is better. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some of the heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is not in our Torah? On Sabbath, Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered God's house, and taking the consecrated bread, He ate. What is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the Torah teachers were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he said to the man with the shriveled hand, Come up here and stand in front of everybody. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, what is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And then he looked around at all of them. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was completely restored. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another, what they might do with Jesus. This is God's word. You can be seated. So if you were here last week, you uh, remember this guy Levi or Levy, And anybody with that kind of name should tell us something. We know what tribe he's from, even to this day. If someone has the name Levi or, or, or Levy. Uh, they, they are descendants of Levi. And the tribe of Levi, what, what's their calling? They're priests. What's a priest doing as a tax collector? I mean, the equivalent in our day would be a pastor turned pimp. It would. You know, and, and, and it shows us how far he has fallen. But Jesus receives him. And he receives Jesus. And the kingdom of heaven is unleashed. And the picture of this is a meal, a banquet, a party. Because if you want to know what salvation looks like in Luke's gospel, salvation is seen as a, as a banquet. It's a, it's a feast. It's eating. It's drinking. It's a party. In fact, I think verse 29 of chapter 5 could be a theme verse of Luke. And Levi made Jesus a great banquet in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And, you know, we so often do truth in in propositions, and we like definitions, and we don't see truth as it comes to us in pictures. But we need to see this picture. Jesus in this home full of tax collectors, having a feast. Because in Luke's gospel, the kingdom of heaven is going to be depicted over and over again as a banquet, as a feast, as a party, a banquet between God and sinners. Is that the way you see it? See, I don't think we see the kingdom of heaven uh, too often that way eating and drinking, banquet, party. In fact, I think we think quite the opposite. I think that we see the kingdom of heaven as the denial of these things, the giving up of these things. And I think in so doing, we have missed the true essence or nature of the kingdom of heaven. What Luke wants us to see, he wants us to get this, that Jesus came to bring the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven, maybe another way of putting this, is the hospitality of God. It's a feast. And I know when we hear this, it, 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 it feels weak to us. Because what comes to your mind when you think of hospitality? What? Martha Stewart? <laughs> Uh, or just kind of this gimmicky, fake, contrived thing that we do, all performance and, and, and that's really what hospitality looks like, I think, in the West. But listen, I just got back from the Middle East, and I was, again, reminded of what hospitality really is. I mean, our first night we got there, and this is after a long plane flight, Flight, plane, plane, flight. By the way, I'm still dealing with uh, uh, jet lag and all that stuff. And I got sick for four days. Two days, I didn't eat a thing. I mean, it was just, it was something violent was going on inside of me. (laughs) So you're going to have to just put up with me today, okay? Um, And pray for me, um, because I am feeling a little bit out of it right now. Um, But anyway, we... we, um, we got off the plane, and this wasn't even on the agenda. There were six Jordanian couples, Christians, who immediately wanted to take us out. We're like, we're going out tonight. And, okay, let's go. Um, it started at 7, and we were gathered around a table for five hours. And let me say, it was awesome. It was incredible. For five hours, they passed around their favorite dishes, their favorite plates, their favorite foods, their favorite drinks. We talked, we laughed, we told stories. It was just this explosion of life and relationship. In fact, at one point, I just kind of like mentally stepped away and, and just looked at it and saw just the amazing thing that was going on in this restaurant. Everywhere we went, it was this in some capacity. Food, meals, people opening their homes. Um, our first night in Mafrak. Mafrak is a town in Jordan, just about 12 miles away from Syria. It's literally a place where they can hear shelling in the morning. The war is just going on right there, the Civil War in Syria. And because of that, mafraq it's not a big town, but literally there are hundreds of thousands of refugees who are living there. In fact, there's a church that consists of less than a hundred people. And they have mobilized enough food, enough um, clothing, uh, <laughs> bedding, all this stuff for 20,000 Syrian refugees. It's awesome. I mean, the church looks so incredible. Um, But where was I going with this? Oh. (laughs) They don't just drop the stuff off. Because they say it's not what you give, it's how you give it. They go in the home, in the dwelling. So our first night, Will, Aaron, myself, and Libby uh, went into the home of this Syrian refugee family. They're Muslim. They brought us into a small room where these cushions surrounded it. And we sat down. And we talked. And we ate. Three times, the mother brought us out something new to eat or drink from their meager, meager means. And they had a 22-year-old son, their firstborn son, also has an engineering degree, And in his broken English, as we're eating their their favorite dessert that goes back generation, generation, he says, when we eat, we are all family. That's hospitality. That's the hospitality of, of a Middle Easterner. It means I accept you to the level of brother and sister when we eat together, when I invite you into my home, We are family. Don't sing this song right now. Can't believe how that came out of my mouth. But anyway. (laughs) Anybody seen Lone Survivor? It's in the movie, isn't it? That one Navy SEAL who, who, who survived that whole ordeal in Afghanistan survived it because a poor village welcomed him as their guest. And because he was their guest, they gave him first aid. They fed him. They clothed him. They gave him a place to sleep. And when the Taliban came and said, give him up to us so we can kill him, they said, we can't. He's our guest. And they literally sacrificed their life to offer this guest, hospitality. I remember when I was a youth pastor, um, I'd take our, our high schoolers to Mississippi, Canton, Mississippi. It's this small town. It's literally a town that's still divided um, by railroad tracks where the whites live on this side and the blacks live on that side. And we were working with uh, an African American pastor in, on that side of the tracks. And I remember he said something that I'll never forget. He said, this is how I know if a white Christian brother truly receives me as a brother. It's when they invite me into their home and we eat together. I think this is what David is saying in Psalm 23 when he says, and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I always thought uh, that meant that God said, okay, um, when, when we're out there with our enemies, God's going to give our side the food, but not them. That's not what it means. It means in that situation, God provides a table and we all come together as family. And if you think about it, I I think this is even true for us. I mean, the table, the meal, uh, this is where we do life at the the deepest level. I I think we as Westerners, we know this. I mean, my best memories growing up of, of all the Good and bad. My my best memories. This is not an exaggeration. Is our family gathered around the table to eat? I wish I could bring you there. I mean, you you, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, it was crazy. My dad would sit there in his tidy whiteies, and I think that honestly says it all. Um, because that, people say, Rod, you're so real. I don't even know what you mean when you say that, first of all. But I'll tell you where I learned how to be real. It was at the table with my family. That's where I learned how to weep with those who weep. That's where I learned how to rejoice with those who rejoice. I just saw my sister this morning. They're adopting two kids. It's just like yes, I'm an uncle. It's awesome, Marcy, Kevin. It's, it's 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 where we did family. It's it's where we did life. It's where we did relationship. It's where uh, we didn't have to perform. It was it was safe. It was it was our family. Here's what I want to do this week. I want to challenge our whole church to read Luke's gospel. And if you skip the first three chapters, I don't care. But start at least at chapter four, and this week, let's all read Luke's gospel. Because as you do, I want you to take notice of how much of Jesus' ministry is centered around meals, Around eating and drinking and banquets. And this isn't just a coincidence. In fact, even the parables that Jesus teaches, oftentimes they're about a banquet or a meal. And there's eating and drinking involved. In fact, in Luke's gospel, starting with chapter 4, Jesus is either at a meal, going to a meal, or leaving a meal. Think about the words that Jesus launches his ministry when he goes to his hometown and and quotes Isaiah 61. He says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he, he, he ends that with, To announce the year acceptable to the Lord. Or that could better be translated, The time of God's acceptance. Jesus is saying by by quoting Psalm 61 that if you want to know what my mission is, my mission is to be the arms of God wide open to the world, to accept the stranger, to accept the marginalized, to accept the outcast, to accept even the worst of sinners. And the picture of this is a meal, a banquet. In fact, later in, in, in Luke's uh, gospel, Jesus is going to say these words The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And of course, that too gets at the heart of Jesus' mission. He's, he's here to seek, to search out, to find lost people. Do you know the context in which he says this? It's when he's feasting with Zacchaeus, who's this chief tax collector, chief of sinners who's now experienced the full acceptance of God in Christ. And the picture of this acceptance is a feast. And I don't want us to be Westerners where we miss the significance of the feast because this is what salvation looks like. This is how the kingdom of heaven is depicted in Luke's gospel, which is why Jesus will also say, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Came feasting. This was his mission: to eat, to drink, to party—not in the frat, fraternity kind of way, but not as a bunch of stiffs either that just sit around and eat food and don't say anything. The kingdom of heaven is the hospitality of God to anyone who receives it. Luke wants us to see that. And I want us to think about that. And I want us to think about what that means. Because one of my first takeaways, if I I ponder this, which I did this week, is that... The kingdom of heaven is not going to just be unleashed through preaching or through worship services. The kingdom of heaven is going to be unleashed through our homes and through meals. And when we open the doors of our lives and the space that God has given us, our homes are the greatest resource and tool to unleash the kingdom of heaven. Our homes When's the last time you've had a stranger in your house? When's the last time you've had a neighbor in your house? I'll give you another piece to this since you're going to be reading Luke's gospel this week, right? Can I get an amen? Are we going to read Luke's gospel this week? Good, good, good. Um, Luke gives us a clue for the people who receive God's salvation. The clue is, is they not only receive the hospitality of God, but they reciprocate. And I want us to see the irony in all this, because Jesus, who is the one who's bringing the hospitality of God, is also the one who comes to the world as a stranger, as a guest, to be invited in. He says the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, it's like he's almost Homeless. And so Luke's sign for those who who have received the hospitality of God, they are going to be like Matthew, like Zacchaeus, like Mary Martha. They're going to open their home to Jesus. They're going to open their life to Jesus and welcome him in. Now, why did I say all this? I think this helps us understand our text today. Jesus is questioned about fasting. In fact, look at verse 33 and they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours, they just go on eating and drinking. I love it. Who's the they? Who's making this complaint? Well, just go back to the, to the, to the verses before that. Um, this whole complaint of theirs begins in verse 30. In verse 30, the Pharisees say, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now their complaint is pushed even further. They say, why aren't you fasting? Why aren't you like John and his disciples? Why aren't you like us? Do you feel the awkward tension of this question? (laughs) Why are you not fasting? It's like nails on a chalkboard when the kingdom of heaven is a feast. It's a feast. In fact, look at Jesus' response to their complaint. I mean, in rabbinical fashion, and Jesus does this over over again, you, you present him with a question, he's gonna answer your question with another question. And this time he kind of says, all right, guys, um, come on. You can't make people fast, can you? At a wedding reception? I mean, that would be such an insult to the groom. It would be an affront to the whole marriage. It would show that the person is just on their own page and, and, and not in the flow of, of, of the thing that's, that's going on. And here's my question. How can these guys, the Pharisees, who are so well grounded in the scriptures, miss this? For the same reason we oftentimes miss it. And I'll give a one word answer. The reason they missed it. The reason we miss it. Religion. Our hearts, our our hearts, they're so prone to religion. And and what, what do I mean by religion? Religion is when we begin to add rituals and traditions and practices that are not clearly spelled out by God. They're they're, they're things that look good, they feel good, and they're not even necessarily bad all the time. But the the bottom line is, it's it's man-made stuff. It's not God-given. And what religion does is it distracts us from what God actually desires. Fasting is one of those things. The Mishnah, which is a document, collection of, of, of the Pharisees that go back hundreds of years before Jesus, tell us that in Jesus' day, Pharisees fasted the first two days of every week. In fact, Jesus alludes to this in one of his parables, when he tells the parable of, of the tax collector and, and the Pharisee. And he says, and the Pharisee stood up to pray and he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, I'm special. Because I fast twice a day, and I do this, and I do that. See, fasting was this extra layer of religion that's added to God's word. Because in their scriptures, which are also a big part of our scriptures, the Torah, there's only one day a year where God instructs a fast. That's Yom Kippur, which is our equivalent of Good Friday but I don't want to throw the Pharisees under the bus because these are men that so want to please God. They don't want to come to God empty-handed. They, they, they want to come to him with effort and with striving. Look, God, look at me. Look at what I've done. I've done this, and I've done this. This is why my heart goes out to the Pharisees because they're trying so hard to please God. God, do you like me now? Are you pleased with me? Do you, can you accept me now? see they did the same thing with Sabbath and we, 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 we look at Sabbath and, and we kind of frown upon Sabbath and we just automatically think that Jesus frowned upon Sabbath it couldn't be further from the truth Sabbath is so at the heart of God when God makes the world, Sabbath is the last thing that God kind of creates you could say it's the crown of creation. Sabbath is God's idea. Sabbath is part of God's rhythm. Sabbath is God's wisdom. It's God's way. And, And God says, I want you to be holy as I am holy. I want you to be like me. So for six days in a week, I want you to do things and produce things and develop things and create things. But on that seventh day, and seven, of course, is the number of perfection and completion, which is why it's God's number. God says, on that day, be like me and rest. If you want to know what God really intended when he, when, when he gifted the world with Sabbath, something our world could use today, the closest equivalent that we have really is Christmas. Sabbath was intended by God to be Christmas once a week. In fact, I noticed this when we lived in, in, in Jerusalem because the Jews, at least living in Jerusalem today, they see it like Christmas. I mean, we were blown away by this. There was this sense of excitement and anticipation as you got closer and closer every single week to Sabbath. And then all of a sudden, boom, everything would shut down. And everybody was in homes, feasting with family, friends. Friends. In fact, when I, when I go to Israel and I take groups, I, I've noticed um, Nadav, our Jewish guide, that on all of my trips, I see this tinge of sadness in his d- demeanor as Sabbath comes to an end. And, and one time I asked him, I said, dude, you're, you're looking a little gloomy right now. And he's like, yeah, I am gloomy. It's like Sabbath is over. But then he would smile and he'd say, but it's just a few days away. Don't think Jesus came to do away with Sabbath. His whole ministry is Sabbath. He announced it. The great Sabbath, Jubilee. But what these Pharisees did through all of their traditions and rules that they added onto this, they 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 just took the whole life out of it. They turned what was supposed to be a gift into a burden. It was intended to be a day of eating and and feasting and and, and time with family and all of this. And they just just soaked it with all kinds of rules. And see, I like what Jesus brings up here. He cites David. He says, David one day went where? Went into what? What? Not the temple, but God's house. He says David did something actually that he wasn't supposed to do. Well, we know he was running from Saul and he and his men were famished. And what I want us to see here is that while the letter of the law is important, we can't just dismiss it. The spirit of the law is what really matters to God. Because it's the spirit of the law that comes out of the letter of the law that really teaches us about who God is and God's heart and how we are to be Like him. And guess what? In God's house there's bread. And God's heart is hospitable to welcome the hungry to eat food from his table. And David knew that. And Jesus is highlighting this. Look at verse 9, chapter 6. Then Jesus said to them, let me ask you, what is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? With that question, he's trying to get to the true essence, to the spirit of the law. And basically, he's asking this question because he's saying to these guys, guys, in all your religion, you've just lost sight of, of what God intended. It's not to steal life. It's to bring life and to make this point in front of everyone. is to so awesome, he sees a man with a shriveled hand. He says, come up here. He says, show your hand. And then he asks the question, is it good or is it bad to heal a person? And then all of a sudden that hand in front of everybody is restored. That's the purpose of God's laws. That's the purpose of Sabbath. And then look at verse 11. It says, these Pharisees and Torah teachers were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do with Jesus. They're infuriated. As you read Luke's gospel this week, I beg you to do it. Take notice of the people who are attracted to Jesus and the people who are repulsed by Jesus. Also, take notice of the kind of people that Jesus is attracted to and the kind of people that Jesus is repulsed by. You'll be shocked. Because the most spiritual people of Jesus, they were repulsed by him, and the most unspiritual—the tax collectors, the prostitutes, and the sinners—are the ones who flock to him. And when I read that, I ask: Is that true about Crossroads? Do prostitutes and sinners flock to this church? Or are they repulsed by us? I love this church. My guess is that the sinners of this community of which I am chief knew the heart of this church and knew it was here. They'd come flocking. I bless God for you. What are our takeaways, though, from all of this? You know, Matthew's gospel also includes these two stories of the Pharisees complaining to Jesus, first of all, about him not fasting, and and then second of all, his Sabbath Sabbath observance. And I noticed this this week. uh, In both of these incidents, Jesus quotes from Hosea 6, verse 6. Hosea 6, verse 6 is where God says uh, through Hosea to his people, he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What does that mean? I'll sum this up really quickly. Sacrifice is a reference to worship. Or to a worship service. Because that's how they worship God in that day. They came to the temple to offer sacrifice. Mercy is uh, not this. The sacrifice is the vertical relationship with God. Mercy is my horizontal relationship uh, with the world. And the people in my world. Namely, am I someone who has compassion. Mercy on those who are in need or those who are oppressed. And see, what was going on in Hosea's day is there wasn't an absence of worship. I mean, they had the vertical thing going on with God. They had worship services every day in the temple. What was lacking was mercy and kindness and compassion. They weren't concerned about the world. They weren't concerned about the lost. They weren't concerned about the oppressed. They were only concerned about themselves. Me and God, God and me. Us and God, God and us. And God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Same thing is going on in Jesus' day. The Pharisees especially were consumed with their relationship with God, but they were unconcerned about their relationships. And I ask myself, is is this going on today? I mean, today the church has practically made a cult of worship services. And I'm going to say this right now. Crossroads is not here to conduct worship services. Right now we're here, but we're here to, to have God just pour into us his presence and his grace and his goodness only so that we can go out there and pour it all out. I don't want God to have to say about us I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And if you want to know why Jesus actually says what he says about the Pharisees, because I never really understood this, but he says, he says, you know, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. It's because this is what they got wrong. In fact, look at verse 34 of, of chapter 5. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with him? <laughs> Oh my goodness. You realize what Jesus just basically told these guys? Guess what? The bridegroom's here. Hello. Lachaim. <laughs> Let's party. <laughs> That's what he's told Just told them. And of course they want to kill him if they don't believe that. But I love, before I get to... Uh, um, this verse right here. Um, he, he talks about the old wineskins and you can't put new wine in old wineskins. That doesn't mean that um, because the Old Testament can't contain the New Testament, that the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore. What he's saying is that what you guys have done with God's Word, you've just coated it with layer upon layer upon layer of religion. It can't contain the new thing God's doing right now. In fact, everyone in their day knew that when the bridegroom, Messiah, would come, he would put on the biggest party. Look at Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord God Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. And you know what's next? On this mountain, God will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. Think about that. God removing all the disgrace, all the hurt, all the pain, even death itself from the whole earth. And how's this depicted? A banquet, a feast. The richest foods, the richest of wines. Because the kingdom of heaven is not a fast, it's a feast, it's a party. Don't miss verse 39. Very interesting. Look at this. Jesus talking about this wine. No one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better. Of course, that's true. Anyone who's a wine connoisseur knows that it's true about wine. What's Jesus? Is he the old wine or the new wine? He's the new wine. That's why he says people who drink the old are content with the old and they can't give it up for the new. See, this is the Pharisees' problem. This is why they missed it. They couldn't give up their religion. people still prefer fasting to feasting for the same reason they prefer religion to gospel. Religion is is all about me. It's what I do. It's what I perform and offer to God. Gospel is all about him. It's what he does. It's what he performs and gives to me as a gift. And see, the reason, though, that our our religious hearts insist on religion is because we like the idea that it's all about us. We like being the main attraction. We like thinking that we're the deal, that it's my goodness and my performance and my spirituality that actually causes God to act. God doesn't act because of us. God acts because of himself. And further, I think religion is hard to give up. It, 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 it is. I have to pray religion out of my heart every single day. It's hard to give up because we like to be the ones who think we're in control. And religion gives us this sense of pseudo-control that we have over things. Where we think we can use our performance and our spirituality and all the good things that we do and offer them up to God and say, God, all right now you owe me. And if I do this, this, and this, now you need to do this, this, and this. And we get God to serve us. God doesn't serve us. God doesn't owe us. We serve him. We owe him. And in the end, religion is bondage. It's narcissism. It's something that keeps us in bondage to ourselves, to our performance, to our striving, and our proving, because at the end of the day, it's all about me. And if it's about me, all me, That's a heavy burden to carry. And then we miss it. We miss God's acceptance of us, His arms wide open acceptance of us in Christ. Not because we're good, because He's good. Have you received the hospitality of God? Have you experienced his arms wide open to you? Think about where this is going in Luke's gospel because right in the center of it, Jesus is going to tell a story about this rebellious son. We know it so well. How he wishes his father dead so he can have the inheritance which his father then gives him which he squanders away in wild living until he's completely bankrupt and destitute. and He's thinking to himself... I just wanna go home, if only I could be a slave. And as he's returning, Jesus said that father was out on a porch looking at him and off in the distance he saw, he saw a son coming. And he does what Middle Eastern men aren't supposed to do. Middle Eastern men never show their legs, but he, he, he girds up his loins and he runs to his son. And he embraces them. And he kisses them. And he says, My son, who's lost, has come home. Let's party. Do you know that God? He wants you home, He wants you in His arms, He wants you in His family to dine with you as sons and daughters. We have to let go of our religion and ourselves and taking ourselves so seriously and thinking it's all about us to experience and know his full acceptance in Christ, which sets us free, free, free. Let's pray. God, open the eyes of our heart this morning to see how deep and wide is your love. Thank you that Jesus gives us pictures like a father in a porch with arms wide open, running to receive us. That's so your heart, God. God, let us know that. Let that burn inside of us. Let us experience your arms so we could be set free from all religion, all our trying, all our proving, all our striving. And we could really rest, Sabbath rest. In Jesus' name, Amen.